Good afternoon, church. It's good to be with you this afternoon. My name is Miles Holmes. I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Newmarket. About seven months ago, I could not say that. I would have said that I was the director of youth here at this church. And there are a lot of unfamiliar faces I see this morning. So I just want to let you know that. And I want to just give you maybe a really quick update. There are a lot of really specific things that I could say about what the Lord is doing at Newmarket. But I want to just let you know that the elders are overwhelmingly encouraged by all that God's doing. We uh, met together before September and just decided that much like Durham does, we would have kind of a theme for the ministry year. And our theme was just God's faithfulness. We felt like God had brought our church through a difficult season, season of transition and and staff and, and, and especially people through COVID. And we just wanted to focus on God's faithfulness. And I can say that over these past months, and especially over this Christmas season, God has been overwhelmingly faithful. But let me just maybe share one story that's relevant to you. In many ways, I feel that this job and this work in Newmarket is a commissioning. I was standing on this stage many months ago where the elders laid their hands on me, commissioned me to to a new work in Newmarket, and that was really the joy of my heart that I was sent from this church that I consider family and love so much. And a few weeks ago, uh, one of the members in our church came up to me and asked me a question. They said, do you know of any churches in the Durham region. And I said, well, that's really funny. I do know of a really great church in the Durham region. It's a small united church. I can give you the name of it. I'm just kidding. I said, I do actually. And I sent them here. And she came here for three weeks. And when she came back to our church, she had a glow on her face. She was so excited. And she was just so amazed at the work that God is doing here. The first thing she said was, there are so many kids And I said, if there's anything that Durham does well, they take the commandment, be fruitful and multiply very seriously. But then she just talked about the maturity of what it was like to be with a church that was mature in the Lord, that was growing and and whose worship was so vibrant and so many things that she noticed. It was so clear that God is doing a work here. And she came back to Newmarket with this excitement, this eagerness to contribute to the work at Newmarket, knowing and seeing, I think, the seeds of what could be accomplished in Newmarket, or sorry, what's been accomplished at Durham being accomplished at Newmarket. I share that with you because it's pretty relevant to what I want to talk to you about this afternoon. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. We're going to have some ushers who are already at the front or coming to the front. You just slip your hand in the air. They would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. I also want to wish you a Happy New Year's. It's a special morning we get as a church to gather together on New Year's Day. And I think it's especially important for us to take this time, like much of the world is doing, and look forward to 2023 and ask ourselves this question, what do we want this year to be about? The world certainly is slowing down and asking this question. And I think it's important for us to slow down as well. But I think that you would agree with me, if you are a follower of Christ, that there is a way that we need to ask this question that's very important. And the way that we need to ask this question is really this. What is God's resolution for my life in 2023? I mean, stack up all the other things that might be accomplished, whether it's physical, whether it's in our family, whether it's financial, whatever it is. Stack up all the things that you could accomplish, but if we don't do the very thing that God wants us to do this year, then at the end of it, we've really accomplished nothing. And so my hope is that in this moment, you agree with me and that your heart's desire in this moment by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit inside you is to say, yes, I want to resolve to do what God wants me to do this year. 
And yet what we find is that the natural tendency of our heart, isn't it, is to pursue other things. That our human nature and our sinfulness is not naturally inclined to to pursue the things that God wants, but instead is to, to pursue the things that we want. And so I think it's very important in these few moments that we have together that we just set our heart on the Lord. And in this time, we're sitting under God's word and asking ourselves this question, what does God want for me in 2023 that we truly be committing ourselves to the Lord and asking God to work in us in this time and to reveal to us the areas of life that we need to be committed to him. Now, I also have in mind that in this room, there are many followers of Jesus who have been following Jesus for years and years. If we were to maybe do a survey of how long you've been following Jesus, some of you maybe are recent followers of Christ, but others maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, for it's by the color of your hair. I'm guessing there's some 40 and 50-year-olds uh, Christians as well. Many of us have been following Christ for a long time. And at this stage in my life, my question is this, what does God want of me now? And my concern as a pastor is that I, I see many Christians saved and then they, they grow and they kind of have this like serious gr- season of growth, but then they get to this point where they kind of just stall. And sometimes I can even tell by their, by their language is that they feel like at this point in their maturity, at this point in their life, there must be something else for them. And they stop leaning into the very things that brought them to that stage of growth. Things like sitting under the word of God and worshiping with God's people and finding themselves in a group of accountability where people are pressing into their life and reading God's word and praying. And they stop leaning into the things that has led to their growth and start wondering if there's something else that would bring them to the next level. And so my question is more specifically, what does God want for you in this stage in your walk with him? The question is relevant as we think about 1 Thessalonians in the letter that Paul writes to the church. The church of Thessalonica was a church that Paul loved. Paul was willing to do with this church what many parents are unwilling to do. I think Paul would have been willing to say that this was his favorite church. And many of us are unwilling, even though we know it in our mind. Kids, youth, you need to hear this. Your parents know it. You know who your favorite kid is. Well, Paul would say it about this church. In fact, he says that this church, when the Lord comes, he says that this church is going to be his crown, his boat, his hope, and his joy. You imagine that. The day the Lord comes, Paul's going to say, hey, you got to check out this church. I preached the gospel there, and they're growing like crazy. The gospel had come to this church, and they had received the word of God, as it really is, as the word of God, and it was bearing this otherworldly hope. The kind of hope you see in a person when they're walking through this dark suffering and trial in life and you're like, something's wrong with you because you got joy in a time when you're not supposed to have joy. Paul says that they were laboring in the Lord and that they had this faith that could only come from believing the gospel. And their faith was so great that surrounding regions were seeing this church and seeing the hope they had in life, a living hope that we sang about this morning, and they were being saved because of the testimony of this church. But as time passed on and Paul did ministry in other places in the regions, he started to worry about this church and started to wonder if maybe their faith had stalled out. Maybe their growth had stopped. They had done so well in the Lord and receiving the gospel, but he started to grow concerned. And so at the end of chapter 3, Paul discusses how he sent Timothy to give a report. And Timothy returns with good news. That they are continuing to grow in faith and love. Continuing to mature. 
And now my question is, what does Paul say to the church that has been growing? What does Paul say to the Christian who has been saved and is growing in the Lord? Well, look what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I want you to see this, church. Look at it in verse 3. Put your eyes on the text with me. God's desire for you this year is simply right here. It says it plain and clear in the text. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's desire for you is simple. That your resolution this year should be, as Paul says, for more and more. God's desire for you wherever you are at in your walk with the Lord is more growth. And if you accomplish anything this year, the the thing that God wills that you would accomplish is that you would grow increasingly sanctified in him. And what Paul is doing here is showing us what our growth requires. If we want to experience a year of more growth, well, then the question that Paul is answering here is, well, what does it require of us? The first thing I want you to see is that more growth requires that you understand holiness as God's resolution. A year of more growth requires that you understand holiness as God's resolution. And so Paul says this, that this is God's will. Now, anytime we hear that, our ears should perk up, shouldn't we? Especially in this day and age, we are a people who love to know the will of God, who are constantly asking questions, well, what does God will for me? What's the path that God wants me to take? What is the direction that God wants me to take? And here it says it, for this is the will of God. So Paul pauses, and everyone's listening. What does God want me to do this year? This is God's will that Paul is talking about. This is what God has set out to do. This is the inclination of the heart of God in your life. This is God's will for you. Read it here. Your sanctification. Your sanctification. This is what God desires of you, that you be increasingly sanctified, that you be increasingly made holy, that you grow increasingly devoted to him. As we think about a definition of sanctification, often we think about sanctification being set apart from sin. I think very simply that's a great definition, that to be sanctified is to be set apart from sin. But I think more specifically, to be sanctified means to be devoted to God. It's not just that you're kind of like some monastic person that can really avoid sin in your life. Sanctification is this pursuit of everything in my heart is devoted to the Lord. I desire to bring all the glory to Jesus Christ. And so I'm devoted to this. And by the nature of me being devoted to God, I'm setting myself apart from all these other things that by their very nature, because they are sin, are not God. And what God has done for us here is he has given us a GPS for the year. And he's told us that if we want to live a year according to his pleasure, to do the things that bring pleasure to him, then this is the path that we are to follow. This is the direction that we are to take. It is the direction of sanctification. I don't know about some of you guys, but technology and the access to GPS in your pocket in this little rectangle of a phone we have has really made me kind of directionally challenged. And if you guys like lose access to your phone and you're somewhere and you're like, I don't even know how to get home. It's only two turns, but I can't do it. We've lost 
our ability to find our way places, and so we rely on these apps. And there's kind of three major apps for GPS that I know about. And they're all for different kind of people. First app is uh, Apple Apps or Apple Maps. And if you use the map app on your phone that's natural to Apple, what's it called? Is it Apple Maps? I think that's what it is. Well, you're kind of a crazy person, aren't you? You're the kind of person that loves like the scenic route. You love to type in a destination and wonder if you're going to get there. Like we might show up in another town. I'm not even sure. In my experience, it's not a great app. It's not going to take you where you need to go. Well, there's another app. It's called Google Maps, and I'm sure that's what many of us use. And it'll take you kind of like the normal path, right? You're going to take major highways. It's going to tell you when you're going to get there. It's going to be pretty great. But there's another app, and I want to uh, just give you this amazing nugget of information. This app is called Waze. Anyone here use Waze? Put your hand up if you use Waze. Okay, Waze is amazing, okay? Especially for, I think fathers are going to love this. If you love to get where you need to go as fast as you can get there, you got to use Waze. Because Waze will take you off the highway and through someone's backyard if that is a quicker way to get there. And I love Waze because I want to get where I'm going as efficiently as possible. And what, Jesus, or what God is doing for us this afternoon is telling us the exact path to take. What is the way that you need to live this year if you are going to do the thing and live on the path that God has set out for you? Well, here it is, church, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This was God's goal in saving you. God saved you to sanctify you. He saved you that you might increasingly grow into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's very relevant that Paul is wondering about this church. Has this church really experienced true salvation? And when he hears report that they had, that the gospel had taken root in a life-changing way in their walk with the Lord... This is what Paul pushes them to, the very thing that God wants to accomplish in their life, that their salvation would take full effect in their sanctification. I love what one author says. She, she writes, God's goal in saving you was not just to make your few years on planet Earth easier or more enjoyable. He had an eternal end in view. His intent was to make you holy as he is holy that you might perfectly glorify him, that you might bring him pleasure, and that you might enjoy intimate fellowship with him for all of eternity. And so church, let me press this application into your heart right now. Don't get so stuck up on all the specifics of what God might want you to do this year. Don't get stuck up on the specifics of what career change might be necessary. Don't get stuck up on the specifics of what move might be necessary. Don't get stuck up on the small details. God's desire is that you would live a sanctified life. And no matter where you are, if you are pursuing this growth in the Lord, what Paul is telling us is that you are pleasing to the Lord. This is the will of God, that wherever you are this year, you would be pursuing growth in him. I want you to notice that sanctification is the broad desire. Notice that Paul here specifies exactly how this church needs to be sanctified. Exactly the area of life that they need to focus on if they're going to experience the sanctification that is God's will. And so he says to them at the end of verse 3 that you abstain from sexual immorality. See, for this church, the thing that they needed to do was to specifically focus on this area of sanctification that they would abstain from sexual immorality. And my question for you is this. This year, as you resolve for more growth, 
What is the one area that God would have you to be sanctified? What is the one area in your life that you really need to focus on this, morning, this year? Maybe it's an area of sin. Maybe it's an area of character growth and development. But if God were to look at you, maybe even by the, with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit here, he's convicting you right now of something that you know needs to change this year. I wonder what area he might reveal to you that needs to be changed if you are going to be sanctified this year. As you come to understand what that area is, my other fear is that too many times Christians know exactly what needs to change in their life. Too many times we know exactly what the Lord would have us to do. We know exactly what would bring him great pleasure in our lives. And yet, in Many circumstances were unwilling to take the steps to overcoming it. My daughter has been giving me the perfect illustration of this over the last few weeks, and that's one of the joys of parenting and preaching at the same time, is that you have all these illustrations from your kids, and when my kids are older, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach anymore, but until then, I'm going to use them as an illustration. And so my three-year-old daughter, as we were kind of, you know, trying to teach her how to clean up, she will stand in front of ten toys, and parents are going to relate with this, and she will be bawling her eyes out, I don't know how to clean up. I don't, I can't do it. And I tell her, you can do it. You can do it. Listen, you just got to pick up one toy and then put it away. And then pick up another toy and put it away. Wives, don't nudge your husbands about how to clean here, okay? This is not a good time to do that. Pick up one toy, put it away. Pick up another toy, put it away. There are steps to doing this. I know it looks overwhelming right now, but if you just break it down into small steps, you can do it. And it's the same with our sanctification. So many of us look at our lives and we see that, that, that we're constantly angry. This anger is constantly overwhelming us. And we know, I don't, I don't want to be angry this year. And so we make that a resolution. I'm not going to be angry. Well, you can be sure as soon as you make that your resolution, there are going to be some things to be angry about. Your kid's going to run in with something that's just going to boil your blood. But then, you know what happens? You know what power is taken away from Satan when you make a specific step about what you're going to do? You know what happens when instead of saying, I'm not going to be angry, what you do is you turn to someone in your small group and you say, hey, I need your help. I need your accountability. Can you text me at the end of each day and ask me if I was angry with anybody? What power is taken away from that sin in your life because you've taken this practical step? Likewise, if your problem is sexual immorality. You know what power is taken away from that sin in your life when you just take the small step of downloading accountability software and asking someone to keep you accountable to that sin? What you need to do is understand how God specifically wants you to be sanctified and and then figure out what the first step in that path is. What is the practical step that you are going to take towards that sanctification? This is the first thing you need to do. The path to more growth is understand that sanctification is the will of God. The second thing, though, that you need to do is seek the help of Jesus. And so we kind of started at the end of our passage this afternoon in verse 3. And I want to go back now to verse 1. Look what Paul says in verse 1. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Now Paul is about to ask and urge them to grow more and more and increasingly sanctified. But I want you to notice that he begins by asking and urging, and it's not just a simple ask and urge. It is an asking and an urging that is done in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there are two things that we need to draw from this. The first is that this is a command that really comes from Jesus. Paul is speaking on the authority of Jesus Christ in this moment. 
And he's speaking on the authority of Jesus Christ to say that the greatest thing that Jesus desires in your life is your sanctification, is your growth, is your devotion to him. That's what Jesus desires. I think it's very important for us to say that in this day and age because if you were to poll just a, a random person on the street about what they think about Jesus, they think that Jesus is just a good moral teacher. That Jesus' greatest desire for us is that we would just live morally good lives. That we would be nice to other people, loving to other people, kind. But notice here that the will of Jesus is not just that you look a certain way. The will of Jesus is that you are devoted to him. Jesus' desire for you is that this year is spent with you devoting yourself to living in his presence. This is the very gospel. This is what we've been celebrating over these past few weeks, that Jesus came to be Emmanuel. He came to be with us because it was Jesus' desire to dwell with us. Jesus' desire this year is that you be devoted to him, seeking intimacy with him. And so Paul says that this is a commandment that comes in the authority of Jesus Christ. Not only is this a command that comes in the authority of Jesus Christ, what Paul's pointing our attention to here is that this is a command that can only be done with the help of Jesus Christ. What Paul has pointed out is that the church was very clearly saved by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so flip back a page and look at chapter 1, verse 5. Look what Paul says about the church's salvation. He said, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul looks at the salvation of this church, of their testimony, and says the reason you were saved is because you heard the gospel. And as you heard the gospel, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit was there working in your heart that you might be convicted about the gospel. Why is it that some who hear the gospel do not believe the gospel? Why is it that in some of your testimonies it took multiple times hearing the gospel before you finally believed because it lacked the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? I remember it as clear as day when I was saved. I had never heard of Jesus Christ at all. If you had asked me who Jesus was, I would have said, I think he's like maybe a swear word or something. I'm not really sure. And then I sat in a coffee shop and the gospel was explained to me. And in that moment, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, there was a conviction that was grown in my heart. And it led to salvation. And Paul points their attention to this moment when the Spirit came to be present and powerful and led them to be convicted about the gospel. And now as he thinks about their sanctification, as he thinks about the growth, he asks and urges them to do it in the Lord Jesus because this is the only way that it can be done. This is important for us to hear that if we're going to grow this year, we need to seek the help of Jesus. So often when it comes to growth, we have this desire of growing and we fall into two kind of extremes. The one extreme we might fall into is the extreme of just doing it by the power of our own grit. We don't, we're not going to seek the help of Jesus, but we know we need to grow. And so we think that the problem is like, the, the reason why I've, I've had this problem, this lack of holiness, is because I just haven't, it's just the wrong habits, wrong schedule, the wrong action. I'm just doing the wrong things. And so if I just change up my habits, if I just change up my actions, if I change up my schedule, 
Well, then, then I will be changed. And so we kind of like grit our way into sanctification. I'm just going to do it. But then it leads to legalism because either we don't do it and we just feel like God could never love us because of how we're acting or we do it and we say, oh, God loves me now. He loves me now. I'm amazing. I can, I can read through the Bible in a year. Well, that's one extreme. But the other extreme is that we kind of fall to this fatalism. It's like, okay, it's got to be all God. You know, God is sovereign. He's powerful. He's in control of all things. So I can't grow until God does something in me. You know, and your, your wife is pointing out anger in your life. And you're listening, listen, take it up with God because I can't do anything about that. Okay, it's all him. I remember preaching one time and someone saying to me, I think they were trying to encourage me. They said, uh, it's one of those, you know, compliments that's actually like, oh, that's actually incredibly insulting. Thank you for that. They said, um, <clears throat> they said I know you did nothing. And their idea was like, okay, you know, it wasn't you, it was all God. But then I was a little like, well, I mean, I got a manuscript here. I at least put some minutes into the manuscript. And it, th this kind of thinking can sound gospel-centered, can it? It can sound good. No, it's all God. You know, Jesus said, apart from me, uh, you can do nothing. And so I just believe it's got to be all Jesus. And this is fatalism. Like, I'm not going to do anything to grow. But God doesn't want either of these things. What God is calling us to do, the way that God is calling us to grow, is to grow in Christ Jesus. That is the only way that you can grow. Growing is recognizing your union with Jesus Christ more and more. Growing is decreasing the gap between who you are in your sinful flesh and who Jesus has called you to be in his saving of your life. Growing is becoming who God has called you to be in Jesus. And all of this is because if you are a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Christ is now in you. This is the amazing truth of what we just celebrated. Like Christmas is not amazing at all if Christ is not in you right now. Because at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus, Emmanuel. We celebrate that God was with us. But if Jesus is not in you right now, then you know all that we can really celebrate at Christmas is like the celebrity visit of Jesus. That he dropped in for a few years just to show us that he's real, but he didn't stay with us. But church, you know this reality that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, Jesus is in you. Emmanuel, God with you. You're united to him. And this year, as you seek to grow and to carry out God's resolution for your life, that you be sanctified, you need to know that you are united to Christ. This is what Edmund Clowney says. He says, union with Christ is the central doctrine of how God dwells with us. That union is the work of the Holy Spirit sent from Christ's throne in glory. We're not only united to Christ as our representative, living, dying, and rising for us. We are united to Christ vitally by the presence of his spirit. He has not left us as orphans. He comes to save us, and he dwells among us in our hearts and in our gatherings as a church. Church, you know that as you resolve to do what God has called you to do this year, as you resolve to growth, God has given you in the spirit of Jesus Christ everything you need to grow. And what I'm suggesting here is that we, as Christians, need a better theology of growth. That practically, our wrong theology of growth is often what leads us to stall in our growth. Growth can only happen because you are in Jesus Christ. 
Growth only happens as you increasingly recognize your union in Jesus Christ. See, theologically speaking, growth in your life is not becoming something that you are not. As we often think about growth, we think about it kind of like we, we would do karate. You ever talk to someone in karate? Well, the first question you got to ask someone in karate for your own safety is, what belt are you? And if they're a black belt, you know, you take a few steps back because they need only like about 10 feet to do like a spinning roundhouse kick into your face. But you ask them this belt, and this, karate is this kind of level system where you're trying to attain something that you haven't yet attained. But that's not the way that Christian growth works. Let me illustrate for you a better way, a better way to understand how Christian growth works. And you're going to have to stick with me on this one, but I promise you that it's going to be a blessing to you because of how many times this illustration becomes relevant in your life. Does anybody get those texts? Hey, uh, if you reply capital Y, you know, you got $700 waiting in your bank account. Anyone get those? Put your hand up if, if it's just me. Is it just me? Okay, maybe I signed up for the wrong website or something like that. I'm not sure. Or you maybe get the emails where you said, you want a free cruise. All you have to do is respond. And we say, yeah, right, too good to be true. There's no way that when you go to redeem that, that's going to be the case. Instead, you're going to get scammed in thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But Christian growth, praise be to God, is redeeming what you do not yet have, redeeming what you can't buy yourself. See, when you're saved, what happens is in Christ, you are fully sanctified. If we're talking about salvation, that's what scripture says. You're fully sanctified. When God looks at you in terms of salvation, you are fully saved. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. But then when it comes to sanctification, you know what sanctification is? It's becoming who you are in Jesus Christ. And so that all you are doing and growing is redeeming what is God has already won for you. You're becoming who you already are. Paul asks and urges the church in Christ Jesus because growth can only happen in your shelter, in the shelter of union with him. Your growth can only happen because you are growing and becoming who you already are in Christ. And so then my question is, like, what does that practically look like? What does that practically look like in our lives? And that leads to our next point, that practically this means that we need to dig deep into what we already know. You need to dig deep into what you already know. If our growth has already been won for us in Christ, then what we need to do is increasingly know what Jesus has done for us more and more. That's why this is what Paul says in the second half of verse 1. He says that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, look at this church, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying this. This is how growth starts in your life. First, you need to receive the gospel. You need to receive it. The gospel is a message that by its very nature, it must be received or rejected. There is no third way. And so some of you in here right now, you might be thinking, well, I'm just thinking about it. You know, I know the gospel. I've heard about it. I'm not willing at this point to give my life to Jesus. I'm not willing to call him Lord. I have some things to do. But then in a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a few years, then I'm going to follow Jesus. And know that you're not just sitting with the gospel message. You are rejecting the gospel message. If you have not received it, you've rejected it. There's only two things to do with the gospel. Well, then what does receiving it look like? What does it look like for us to receive it? Well, look at what Paul says. Again, in chapter 2, verse 13, you can flip back to it if you need to. 
Paul says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. This is what it means to receive the gospel message. It means you hear all that Christ did for you, and you confess, receiving that as true, you confess that Christ is your Lord and Savior. You make this confession, because of all that Christ did for me, I am now a Christian. I am now a follower of Christ. And because you've received the message, it changes your identity. So that Paul can say that because they received the message, they knew, look at, look at verse 1, they knew how they ought to walk and to please God. And he says in verse 1 that they were doing it. This is the start of Christian growth. You receive the gospel message, and then you do the gospel message. Becomes your identity. Christianity becomes your identity. And the reason why you're living out the Christian life, the reason why you're walking for Christ, is because this is who you are. It's your very identity. If I were to tell you that I'm a preacher, but I'd never preached a message in my life, you would probably say, You are not a preacher. If I were to tell you that I'm a hockey player, but didn't have any equipment and didn't play hockey, you would tell me you're not a hockey player. Now, I play hockey with some of the guys tonight, and they would tell me I'm not a hockey player, but I have the equipment and I get on the ice, so I'm a hockey player, okay? This is who you are. And so in the same way, a Christian follows Christ. A Christian has received the message and therefore does the message. Now that seems like really obvious. Like you're saying, no duh, Miles. Like that's, that's simple. And yet I feel the need to say it in our day and age where we are so willing to create a category for a Christian who's not so willing to follow the word of God. A Christian who's very willing to take portions of this word and treat it as though it's the word of man. And that's just not a category in Scripture. The category is for a Christian who takes this book in its fullness, every word of it, no matter how unpopular it is, to declare that this is the word of God and this is how I'm going to live my life. I've received this as the word of God. And so then the question is, what if I've done that? What if I've received the word? What if I've done the word? Like, I'm, I'm a Christian. Then, then what do I need to do? That's an important question for us. We've received the gospel as true. We're living, we're seeking to live the life of a Christian. We're seeking to follow Christ. Well, what do we do? Look at what Paul says. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. The greatest need for your growth this year is that you dig deep into what you already know. This is what sanctification requires. It requires the appropriation of truth. That means that you know truth, but the problem is that these truths that you know, you do not believe deeply enough. That's why you're willing to forsake those truths in the pursuit of sin. What Paul is telling the church is that the, the truth that they need to grow and be sanctified is truth that likely they already know. It's truth that needs to be driven deeper into their hearts. And the same is true of you. If you have been attending this church for at least a week and you have heard Pastor Ian preach, as I did for eight years, I can promise you that there is enough content in that one sermon for a lifetime of growth. 
That's just the nature of this church. Every time you show up, you hear biblical preaching. Every time you show up, you're hearing the words that Jesus gave us. And every time you show up, you are hearing words that if you drive them deep into your heart, you will be changed for the glory of Jesus Christ. Truth that you need for transformation is likely truth you already know. It's just truth that needs to be driven deeper and deeper and deeper into your life. That's why so many of us, as we look back on our life, we look back especially on our mistakes and the ways that we've maybe failed to follow God, don't we so often say, man, I knew better. I knew better. That's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know what you're supposed to do. Isn't that true that so many of us, you know the thing that you're supposed to do. You know the thing that will bring glory to God in that circumstance. You know that anxiety won't make your situation any better. You know that anger won't make your situation any better. You know that bitterness won't make your situation any better. Well, we can uh, illustrate this on a really surface level, can't we? So many of us today are going to make a resolution for health, aren't we? We're going to follow a specific diet. And on the way home from church, though, as our stomachs are grumbling, having been stretched out from all the food that we ate over the Christmas break, we are going to drive by the glory of the golden arches of McDonald's. And some of us are even going to fall into the temptation to drive in. We've all been there, okay? We can all be honest. We're humans. We've been there. And we're going to order the Big Mac meal, extra fries, extra large Coke, not diet. And we're going to enjoy that and believe that this is what we need for this moment. I can just start tomorrow. It's fine. And we're going to take bite after bite, especially after this illustration. It's going to be hard not to stop at McDonald's. We're going to take bite after bite. We're going to let the, the fries melt in our, life, in our mouth. Listen, food's not supposed to do that, okay? You read in Genesis how God created everything. We've gotten a lot far away from that when fries like that melt like that in your mouth. And it's going to feel so good for a moment. But then as you finish that last fry and the brick is in your stomach, you're going to say, I, I knew better. This was not a good idea. And that's a very superficial level, isn't it? But it's also true on a spiritual level that so often we knew that anger would not fix that problem. When we lash out at our wife and tell her just to do it, we knew that she wouldn't take that advice. We knew that bitterness would not solve our issues when we look back. When we come out of a trial, out of a circumstance... We look back and we say, wow, my anxiety, it led to nothing. All those sleepless nights, it really did nothing for me. I should have known better. Listen, so much of my counseling experiences, as I've gotten to sit in the room with people who are walking through challenges in their life, so much of my experience is telling them what they already know. They're good enough theologians to know the truth that they need to get out of this situation, to be able to navigate this circumstance in their life. The problem is, is that even though they know the truth, they have not driven it deep enough into their lives. And so that counseling becomes this process of peeling back their life like an onion in order to get to their heart and then to expose to them how they aren't actually living according to God's truth that they already know. Isn't that true when we're in suffering and, you know, someone comes and pats us on the back and says, hey, listen, God's sovereign. And you say, yeah, I know it's true, but I just don't feel it right now. I don't feel it. I know that's what I need to hear, but it's just, and I know it's true, but I just don't feel it in this circumstance. I just don't feel like God could ever care for me because of the things that are going on in my life. 
And I know that the Bible says that God cares about, you know, King David. And, I, and of course, God cares for the elders of this church. But for me, I, I don't feel it right now. And that truth remains true, but the problem is that it's not driven deep enough into your heart. One of our greatest needs for growth is to dig deep into what we already know. And so what does this look like in our life then? What does it look like to dig deep into what we already know? Well, there are countless things that we could talk about, but let me maybe give you four areas to think about, ways to dig deep this year. First area to think about is, is in your corporate worship. Corporate worship is a wonderful blessing to your growth in the Lord. And I think that ta- far too often we just kind of like slip into corporate worship kind of like we would a movie. Like, all right, I'm here now, let's do it. And I wonder what growth would be yours this year if you spent time preparing your heart with an eagerness for what the Lord might do as you declare these truths together. You know, I know that at this church, because I was here for so long and we share the same methodology, that you really, you sing a small number of songs over and over and over and over again. Why don't you do that? Why don't, why don't, doesn't like Mark come up and just teach you a new song every week? Is it because he's lazy? Absolutely not, okay? He's not lazy. It's because what we're doing by singing these songs over and over and over again is we're kind of like creating a hymn book, this, this psalm book for our heart. We're driving these truths deep into our heart as we sing them. We're declaring, God, I believe this truth. I've received it as true. I want to live this truth. And so we're declaring it together each morning to say, God, this is true of me right now. I declare this truth to you. I believe it. What if you use that opportunity to come intentionally to dig deeper into the truth that you already know? What if you declared by singing every morning that you came together with the church family to sing? You did so intentionally to declare, God, this is truth I need to drive deeper into my heart. What if as you sung, you meditated on the words and, f- and focused your attention on what you're, the truth that you are singing and its relevance for your life? We can dig deep in our corporate worship. Another area we might dig deep is in the, the way that we listen to sermons. If we show up to worship like that, it's very likely that we also show up to, into preaching like that. And God has set out for us that we regularly sit under the word of God. And God is willing and eager to do things in your life as you sit under his word. Every time that you are here, the spirit is here as well. And the preachers at this church and I myself take great comfort in knowing that these words that we're preaching, so long as they are biblical, like Paul said, they are not words of man. They bear a special weight and significance for you. They are the words of God. And they are words that can be carried from the preacher's lips to your heart for a specific situation that you need to hear. And what if we as a people were eager to come and to listen to God's word, listen to what he has for us that week? You know how many times it has been our experience as preachers, whether the preachers at this church or myself, that we preach a message and someone comes up and says, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I've even been accused of preaching a message specifically to a person. And that's not my planning. That is the planning of the Holy Spirit who is here and has a message for you. What if you came having prayed for that morning? God, I want to hear from you. So don't let me miss anything. What if you came making sure that you're rested up, prepared by going to sleep early on Saturday night? Now, listen, context, you didn't need to go to sleep early last night because you wanted to celebrate New Year's. But regularly, what if you use this as an opportunity to drive deep into the truth that you already know? I've heard Ian say it a thousand times that this is what preaching is, isn't it? It's a ministry of reminder. And Pastor Ian reminds us of that to show us the purpose of preaching and how we ought to listen 
to take these truths, likely that we already know, likely you haven't heard anything in this message, that if you've been a follower of Christ and listened at least to one of Ian's message, he probably covered it all in his message last week. Likely you have everything you need to grow. The question is, how are you going to use the truth that you hear preached? Third area you might dig deep is in meditation. I'm convinced that the reason so many Christians don't have a thriving relationship with the Lord is because they do not meditate on God's word. God's word is like a steak that is to be enjoyed, and too many Christians are willing to cut it up and swallow it whole without enjoying its flavor, without enjoying the juices, without letting it marinate in their mouths. And so it is with God's word. That if you are to grow, you need to slow down and chew on verses. And isn't it true that, that there is no verse in all of Scripture that you cannot squeeze more out of? Sometimes you think you've done it all. Sometimes you think you're familiar with a, a verse. And then maybe you hear it preached or you come back to it again and you discover that there's more there. So many of us go so wide in our Scripture reading and fail to go deep. The best thing we can do is both. Make sure that we are reading Scripture, but make sure that we are driving deep into what God has for us in his word. That means this. Don't be willing to leave your place in front of God's word each morning as you devote yourself to the Lord in personal worship. Don't be willing to leave until your heart has been filled with a zeal to live for God that day. Be eager to meditate on God's truth until it has changed you and filled you with this passion to live for him, to give all glory to him that day. To live for the glory of Jesus Christ. One last area you might dig deep this year is in your character. Maybe you just pick a character trait. Maybe, whether it's compassion or kindness or self-control. And you pick a character trait and you say, this year, is, or maybe a few months, it's going to be about this. I think about this every day. I'm going to think about opportunities I can take to, to do this, to be compassionate, to have self-control. And I'm going to pursue this character, this growth in my life. I'm going to dig deep in this one thing. Yes, I have it. I've got compassion, but I know I can have more. So I'm going to dig deeper into it. I'm going to focus on it this year. Digging deep into no, to what I know I already have. Notice what Paul ends with here. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you. And he says, through the Lord Jesus. Paul says that these are instructions that come from the very lips of Jesus. And what Paul is pointing our attention to is that this is the way that we bring God glory this year. These are Jesus' words. This is what Jesus desires for you. These are the instructions that have been given to us this morning through the Lord Jesus that we resolve this year to understand his will for us, his will that we would be sanctified, that we seek his help, that we dig deep into what we already know. For what reason? You see it there in verse 1, that we might walk and please God. And so, Redemption Durham, my question for you, as we look ahead to the remainder of 2023, is this, are you committed to living for the glory of Jesus Christ as you grow increasingly in Jesus Christ? Are you committed to fulfilling the resolution that God has for you this year and every other year that you would live more and more all to the glory of Jesus Christ? 